so good to be with you guys. My name's Sandy, if I haven't met you yet. And I just want to mention a couple things before we get into the message this morning. Uh, we've all been called of God to be part of His kingdom advance here in our city. And we do want to see the lost found and the broken healed and the captives and prisoners set free. That's all part of what it means to be releasing the kingdom of heaven on earth. And that's our vision. And that kingdom advances as we participate in it. It's a both-and thing. Um, and that involves that we serve, that we pray, that we give, that we participate. And in our church, whenever people are, are giving towards that, here's what's happening. Uh, the mission of God advances. Lives are changed in Airdrie and also internationally and globally. And so I just want to draw your attention to something called our Finish Strong focus here uh, for the end of June. And uh, we have a goal that we're trusting God for. It's, it's to see uh, $240,000 come in uh, in the next four weeks uh, to finish off our financial year end of June 30th. And we praise God for the amazing ways He has already been blessing us as a church. All throughout this year, He has been sustaining us, taking care of us, meeting our needs, and working through us. And so this just is, a, is an opportunity for us to get blessed even more. So whether you're learning how to tithe, maybe you want to start tithing, bring that full amount into the Lord's house uh, as a steward, bring it in, you can do that. Or you can catch up on tithing. Sometimes, you know, we're busy and we get distracted or we've been traveling, we just haven't a chance to be on top of that. We can uh, catch up on our tithing, bring it into the Lord's house. Or we just continue to tithe and uh, be faithful in that as God enables us. And then as well, we can give beyond the tithe. Uh, generously and even sacrificially uh, past what we normally give. So there is this gap of $240,000 to finish the year end. Can we trust God together? He's going to meet it through us. Yeah. We're going to trust Him for that, right? He will supply out of His storehouse. If we're faithful in following Him, He's going to bless it, and we'll see Him do that abundantly. So I'm just excited about how the Lord's going to do that through us. And the other thing I was just going to mention is uh, next Sunday, you, you don't want to miss it. I think it's going to be one of the best Sundays of the year. Dr. Martin Sanders, a friend of ours, a friend of this house, bringing his talk, couples, uh, questions that couples don't ask. And this is a big, burly guy who gives great hugs. And we really love Martin Sanders here. And he's coming all the way from New York. He's part of our Soul Care Conference. On your card, you have a description of, of him, and I, I just want to draw your attention to it so that as you use this as an invitation, you can tell your friends, this is a really cool guy. He's written great books, he gives talks all over the world, and he's the chaplain of the Rockettes in New York City. Is that not cool or what? And uh, I just know you're going to love it. Make sure you're here. Bring a friend with you next Sunday. All right. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25. In the Old Testament, give you a couple of other passages as well. Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 26, and 1 Corinthians 2, and we'll remind you of those later. But we're in this series called The Pursuit, and it's based on the life of David in the Bible. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who pursued the Lord with his entire soul. And so we see in him a life worth emulating. And if we're going to follow God in the way that David has, we're going to see God will meet us in special and amazing ways. God loves it when his people pursue his presence. And we've been doing that these mornings together. We're seeking God's face, asking him to speak to us. And he surely is. So I'm going to pick up our passage here in chapter 25, 
verses 1 to 13. You can see the words on the screen. Let me read them for us. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in a certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman. Remember that phrase. An intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son, David, whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I've slaughtered from my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you strap on your sword. So they did. David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. David is now on his way to the village of Nabal to annihilate the entire clan. David has run into a fool. People bring problems into our lives. Have you noticed that? People bring problems, but relationships are still worth it. Relationships can make us rich. Some people bring us more problems than riches, though. And there are basically three kinds of relationships that you can have. There's replenishing relationships and nurturing relationships and diminishing relationships. Guess what kind of relationship David has with Nabal? It is a diminishing relationship. It's not going in the right direction. Here's the point. How can we deal with difficult people in our lives? More specifically, how can we deal with people who are acting foolishly? I believe that God wants us to be able to be equipped to handle that. Today we're asking the question, how can I deal with foolish people in my lives? Because they're going to show up, they're going to come, they're going to be there at some point in time. And so to be wise, I must never, ever give in to a fool. That's kind of the big idea to this message. Three simple things now in dealing with a fool. Number one, don't respond the wrong way. Can you remember that? When you're dealing with fools, don't respond the wrong way. David's on the run. He's trying not to get killed by evil King Saul. David is a young king in waiting. 
He's living out in the wilderness. In fact, it says in chapter 23, verse 1, he's in the desert of Ziph. Chapter 24, verse 1, he's in the craggy goat mountain areas in the desert of Engedi. Chapter 25, at verse 1, he's in the desert of Paran. Did you catch the theme? From desert to desert to desert. David is living out there in the wilderness. It's a strange time in his life. And God is even sending some unique people to him. Just turn back to chapter 22 at verse 2. It tells us of the kind of people that David was attracting to him. It says, all those who are in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. That's great, isn't it? All the unemployed people, all the discouraged people, all the leftovers of the, of, of the people that were upset with Saul, they're now hanging around with David, and he's on the run. So it's not just David on the run, but it's him and about 400 other guys with wives and children. This is a very tough moment in his life. It's not easy right now to be David. So I'm just curious how many of you know that there will be tough moments in life. Are you, are you, are you, are you are you're aware of that? You don't have to accept it, but you do have to deal with it. There's going to be tough moments in life. Even if you're deep in the river, even if you're anointed with the Holy Spirit, even if you know that you are chosen and called and qualified by God to be a person who fulfills his royal destiny, there's going to be difficult moments in the pursuit of God on the journey. We just have to understand that. We have to deal with it. There's going to be some difficult people in our lives that we're going to have to face and figure out what we do with what they say. David is this young king in waiting. He's already been anointed with oil by the prophet Samuel. David has already slain the big giant with bad breath named Goliath, knocked him down to the ground, killed him. David has won several military battles already. He's affirmed in heaven, but he's afflicted on earth. And he's lost a lot of support that came his way. Last week, Pastor Nathan helped us to see how that was happening for David as he was living in a cave and, you know, he didn't have access to his family and um, his best friend Jonathan couldn't comfort him. And, and uh, now we find out that Samuel the prophet, his mentor, has died. So this is a moment in David's life when he's pretty low. And in that moment, he's attracting to himself other people who are pretty low. And in this dark, lonely phase of his journey, he just wants to be able to eat some food. His men are out there in the area of Carmel, and uh, they're protecting some shepherds who belong to a local rich guy named Nabal. David's men are hungry, and they ask the shepherds when they go back to the village, you know, can you just give us a little bit of scraps, like whatever you got, anything that you can find? When Nabal hears about it, he goes, no way, I'm not going to give these these soldiers of David, I'm not going to give them anything at all. So when David hears about that, he goes over the edge. He says to his 400 soldiers, strap on your swords. We're going into the village to do you know what. I wonder if you realize that David at this moment in his life is about to make a foolish decision. He's about to follow through on something that will discredit him greatly as a king if he does it. But he's got hungry men who are also angry. How many of you women know that when a man is hungry and angry, it's a really bad thing going on? 
What do you do with a hungry and angry man? You give him hangry man soup. I'm just trying. That's it. That's, that's, that's all the humor you get today. It's got to insert that into the message. Lighten it up a little bit so that we can all relax and then we can hit you with more. David is actually quite ticked off in this moment of his life. He's ready to kill Nabal and every male in his village. And I think that Nabal shows himself in his true colors here. Nabal is a fool. He's not a fool just because he looks like a fool. That's what his name means. Look at verse 25. That's what his wife calls him. She says, well, his name is Nabal, which means fool. He does stupid things. He's a foolish man. And David has a choice to make. Do I react to the fool according to his terms, or do I walk away? Nabal has provoked David. And so in case you meet someone like Nabal, I thought I'd help you a little bit and equip you to recognize these kinds of people. Here's the definition of a fool. One who is lacking in understanding. One who is prideful and arrogant in their views. One who is boldly and rude or disrespectful and contemptuous and insulting. That is a fool according to the Bible. And sometimes we think of fools as being like comedians, but that's a different skill set. Comedians just make people laugh, and humor can be a great thing. But being a fool is a moral issue. Do you know anyone who fits the description of a fool? Can you recognize fools that are near your life? Because they're all over the place. There are fools in business. There are people who have a lot of money and a lot of power and a lot of influence. They might even have influence over your business, and they're foolish Just because they're wealthy doesn't mean that they're wise. You have to be alert to fools in business. There are fools in your school if you're a student. They want you to join with them in their bizarre behavior so that your life will be discredited like theirs. There might even be fools in your extended family. Some of you might be taking vacations with them this summer. You're going to get stuck on a boat with your foolish relative It's true, right? And you're like, oh, God, just get me through this week with so-and-so. It's real. We deal with foolish people in our lives. And I think that we are, as people, sometimes too naive and passive when it comes to dealing with fools. We put up with them too much. We let them set the environment in our homes, which is not a good thing. They, They should not have that privilege. We follow their lead sometimes in bad business deals. We go along with a crowd of fools at school, and it it gets us into trouble. And we wonder why our lives aren't feeling a sense of peace from God. A fool will always want you to react on their terms. That's what Nabal's doing. Come on, David. What are you going to do about this? I'm not giving you a scrap of bread. Nothing for your soldiers. Well, we need to recognize fools when they show up. Maybe this proverb from contemporary culture will help you. It goes like this. Never wrestle with a pig. You will both get dirty, but the pig likes it. (laughs) It's kind of the same thing. Don't wrestle with it. Don't allow it to set the terms. Those of you in business and you're dealing with a foolish issue coming through to you from a foolish business leader, don't follow their lead. Bring wisdom forward. 
So another way of describing a fool is that there's someone who squanders a great opportunity. It was Dallas Willard who taught us that years ago in seminary. A fool will squander a great opportunity. It will waste the moment that was theirs. This is exactly what Nabal does. I mean, think of it. Nabal could have done something nice for David. Nabal could have done a favor for David and his men, and then David would become the king of Israel one day, and he could return the favor. Nabal could have blessed the future king of Israel. Instead, he, re- he sends his soldiers back without any food and incurs upon him the wrath of the future king. It's like Nabal is saying, I don't care if you and your family and your little army starve to death. You're going to get nothing from me, David. You can starve to death. Now, it is true that Jesus said some stern words about when we call people fools, what he thinks about that. You may have been wondering about that. Matthew 5, 22, Jesus says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. Wow. And in that moment, I think he was saying to us, make sure that you do not sit in final judgment on a person's soul. Leave that to God. Don't take that attitude of kind of, you know, sort of slandering someone and enjoying it and trying to get away with it. Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to recognize a fool. He's just saying be careful in the way you pronounce that term over people. It can have great damage. And for those who are brothers and sisters, we should not be using that term on them at all. But we know that Jesus meant that we were supposed to also recognize fools. Because in Luke 11 and verse 40, he says, you foolish people, speaking to the Pharisees, those religious leaders who were foolish because they were all about form without power, which is religion. Outward conformity to a lifestyle of purity, but their hearts were far from God. Jesus calls them foolish. And then on the Emmaus Road, in the resurrection appearance, he says to the two disciples, you know, how foolish you are not to believe everything that is written about the Messiah in the Law and the Prophets. Jesus does use the word in different terms, different places. We're supposed to recognize a fool when they're in front of us. Because if we don't, we will be drawn into their folly. We will participate in their dysfunction. And there are many fools in life. For instance, the Bible tells us that you're a fool if you don't believe in God. Well, that's not my words, that's the scriptures. Psalm 14:1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is a foolish statement to utter that. For the person who does that, who claims that they, they know better, or they, they have the inside track, they're saying, I know everything. I know all realms of knowledge and mystery, and I can categorically say that there is no God. That person is a fool. It's true. If you say that you don't have a soul that will live forever somewhere, you're a fool. If you think heaven and hell do not exist, you're being foolish. If you think that there's not a law in the universe called sowing and reaping that God has placed into this world, then we're acting like fools. The Bible says God will not be mocked. Whatever a person sows, they shall surely reap. God will not be mocked by people who look like they're getting away with it? And isn't it true that sometimes it looks like fools are getting away with it? 
Just read Psalm 73 later on today. And agonize with Asaph who says, you know, why is it that all these wicked people prosper and they're just getting away with everything? That's what he saw. And then he says, I went into the sanctuary though and I understood their fate. I get it. They're on a slippery slope. Their doom is coming. God is not going to be mocked by any decisions that are made by a fool. God will always show himself right and pure and just in all situations. So if we think we can eat, drink, and be merry and just live for the moment, we are fools. If you think you can get drunk as a Christian or get high or do drugs or have premarital sex and that it's not going to affect your life, you're being foolish. God will not be mocked. And so let's take a look at Proverbs 26. I think I mentioned that chapter for us here. This is a great little part of the Bible on foolishness. It's worth reading. I'll just highlight a couple verses. Verse 1, Proverbs 26. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest. That sounds like Alberta. (laughs) Honor is not fitting for a fool. Verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Don't join into that thing that the fool is doing. And then verse 5, the opposite. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So it's saying it depends on the situation. Sometimes you must challenge a fool and approach them and say, hey, what you're doing is not good. And other times you just leave them alone. You just walk away. Verse 6, sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. Verse number 10, like an archer who wounds at random is one who hires a fool or any passerby. In other words, if you're about to hire someone for your business this week, put on the application, are you a fool? (laughs) And if they say yes, say thank you for your resume and move on. Don't hire a foolish person. You're going to pay for that in your business three times what you think. Okay? And then verse 11 Kind of like this one. It's a little bit gross, but as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. You ever have a dog got thrown up and then they go lick it up and you're like, what is wrong with you? That's how God feels about fools. Like, what is wrong with you? Why do you return to your folly again and again and again? It's because they're fools. Even in the church, we must be alert to foolish behavior Paul the Apostle, I mean, he didn't pull any punches with the Galatian church. He says to them in chapter 3 of Galatians, you foolish Galatians. They're like, what? Who has bewitched you? For them, the gospel was being distorted. They were being deceived. So he says down in verse 3, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? He's saying, come on, guys. Do you think you can live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit? You can't. So just accept him. Just receive him. Just let him fill you. It would be foolish to think that we can live without the presence of God in our lives. And in spite of all of that, let's be honest. In different moments of our lives, I'm sure we all tend towards the category of foolish behavior. Myself included. Uh, Let me tell you a story of great embarrassment. (laughs) 
Uh, in my early 20s, I, I needed a car. I had a car. It was kind of a broken down car. I always had broken down cars. I don't know why, but they just gravitate to me, right? All the broken down cars. So I'd gotten some money given to me from a relative, and it was about $3,000. I thought, great, I'm going to buy a car. Very impulsive. I'm going to get a car. And I wanted the car of my dreams since I was like 17 years of age, which was, are you ready? A 1974 Chevrolet Monte Carlo silver blacktop two-door. Like, oh, God, I could have that car. So I searched for it in the newspaper. We didn't have Kijiji back then. And, uh, and so, you, you know, I found a car in a certain part of the city and uh, took my buddies with me and cash, and I'm looking at buying the car. And, and they're like, buy it, it's silver. I know it's silver, but does it run? So we take it for a test drive, and it's a little gutless, but it looked good. The interior was good. I found out the guy was selling it. He had been charged with drunk driving. And so, I mean, I didn't know then what I know now, that probably there was some curse on that car. And I bought it. And it seemed like a really good buy until I got it home and started driving it around. And, you know, that problem it had with acceleration was it needed a new carburetor. And uh, it also started leaking transmission fluid. I think the guy put sawdust in it or something to trick me. And, you know, I'm going through a bottle of tranny fluid every three days. I was buying it by the case. It's expensive. And then another guy who was sort of a mechanic, he listened to it. He said, it's your camshaft. It's gone. I'm like, oh, no. And exhaust system problems and leaks all over the place and electrical issues. And so instead of selling it for 500 bucks and getting rid of it, you know what I did? I did the foolish thing. I kept it. I kept it. And it kept pulling money out of me. Hundreds and thousands of dollars for the next two and a half years. It never really got any good till finally I sold it to a junker for a hundred bucks, but I'd wasted several thousand dollars on it. And I learned then just because you make one bad decision doesn't mean you have to see it through. Right? You can back out of it. Think about it. There's decisions that some of you are making. You're like, I don't think it's a good one. It's not too late to change the course of action. Yeah, but I'm already committed. Get uncommitted. Pull out. Yeah, but it'll make some people unhappy. That's okay. There's worse consequences than making people unhappy. So maybe some of us need to think about that. Let me go to the second thing here. How do you deal with a fool? Receive and use wisdom. Wisdom is essential. Wisdom will keep you from being drawn into the consequences of a fool. Wisdom is what we need, and it comes from God. In James chapter 1, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask of God, who gives to all without finding fault, and it will be given to them. But you must ask in faith. And so we have to understand what that means. It's not like you say, God, give me wisdom, and then you never ask him again, and the rest of your life you just get all the wisdom you need automatically because you ask God once. No, it means this. In every single situation that you're in that you need wisdom for, you go to the Father, and you say, Father, I need wisdom right now. And you believe him for it. It's the kind of faith that is expectant, and it's certain that this, this is going to be given to me. I'm going to download from God right now the wisdom that I need for this situation. And when you do that, the Father gives it to you generously. He's like, I'm so glad you asked. I saw what you were facing, and I know you need my wisdom, and as soon as you asked for it, I gave it to you. 
So whatever you're facing that requires wisdom in your life for a decision, remember God is ready. He's ready and willing and able to give you the wisdom now for it. You don't have to wait. You can just lay hold of it. Well, wisdom is powerful. Wisdom is acting in the right way at the right moment from the right motive for the right solution. Wisdom, biblically, is the skill of living righteously before God. There's a moral aspect to wisdom in which we see the right way and we align ourselves to it. It's not just information, it's not just knowledge-based, but it's heart-based. Well, David is being looked after by God. We know that because God sends him some wisdom in the form of an amazing woman by the name of Abigail. And I said to you earlier that she is a very special person. Let's read about her in chapter 25 at verse 18. Abigail, the wife of Nabal, has heard what David's going to do. He's on the verge of coming into the village with his 400 soldiers. He's going to annihilate everybody. So she takes action. She's trying to avert a disaster. Here's what it says. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Can you picture that? This woman is strong enough to load up donkeys. And then she told her servants, Go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. Abigail comes forward with wisdom. She knows there's one chance to save her village and her husband named Nabal, and that's if she intervenes, if she risks her life and goes out into the ravine and meets David with gifts of food. So she does it. I kind of like this Abigail. And I, I kind of feel sorry for her. You know, you know why? I'm sure she, like most Hebrew girls back then, were just given away in marriage. She probably didn't have much to say about the guy that she got stuck with, Nabal. And uh, he apparently is a cowboy with no brains, a businessman with a mean streak, and a temper, and he likes to get drunk. And Abigail is stuck with this guy. And you know, it always amazes me. You know, I've been around church life for a long time now. How many great women sometimes get stuck with strange guys? I, I just don't understand that. It happens way too much. Well, Abigail is discerning what's going to happen if she doesn't act. And so she puts together this package of food. And she heads out to intercept David before he gets to her town because she knows if he gets into town, it's all over for everybody. Pick it up again at verse number 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man Nabal, he is just like his name. His name means fool. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the man my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. 
And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who followed you. And David stops in his tracks. It's like, wow, what a woman. And you're probably thinking, too bad you're married. Well, we'll see how that works out. David is able to receive wisdom in this key moment of his life. And the wisdom comes to him through this godly woman named Abigail. She intercedes for him, really, intervenes so that his career as a king in waiting does not start out with innocent blood being shed. He receives wisdom. It's what we all need. And you know, as people of God, we've got to avail ourselves of God's wisdom. And really in the scriptures, there's three kinds of wisdom. There's earthly wisdom, uh, there's universal wisdom, and then there's spirit-given wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Earthly wisdom is that wisdom of this world. It's the street smarts. Um, it's those slogans like kill or be killed, or he who has the most toys when he dies wins. That's all part of earthly wisdom, and the Bible calls that devilish. In other words, it is demonic. And when we allow our minds to be infiltrated by demonic, earthly wisdom, we're going to act foolishly. Uh, we're going to be corrupted in our thoughts, and then our actions will follow suit. But then there's another form of wisdom. It's called universal wisdom. It's available to everyone. So let me introduce you to another lady of wisdom in the Bible found in Proverbs chapter 1. And this is an amazing portion of the scriptures. You can read the whole book of Proverbs and learn a lot about wisdom. But early in the book, wisdom is introduced. Chapter 1, verse 20. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. That's Lady Wisdom. <laughs> I'm glad you're getting acquainted with her. Don't fool around with her. Don't provoke her. Don't miss out on what she has to say to you. And she's not a deity. She's not the fourth member of the Trinity. Okay? It's a personification of the wisdom of God. And she's crying out in the streets, saying, who's going to pay attention to me? Who's going to listen to me? All of you people out there, listen. Don't make foolish decisions anymore. Come to me and I'll help you. She's available, and all humanity may tap into her wisdom. You don't even have to be a Christ follower to follow her wisdom. doesn't matter where you're born or raised. She cries out on every street. Charles Spurgeon said this, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Thank you, Charles Spurgeon. We've got to know how to use wisdom. So let me ask you this. What do you need wisdom for today, this week? 
Because we all need to use it. You might be facing some big decision in your life that requires wisdom. Decisions like, should we move? Should we change jobs? Should I stay home and not work, or should I work? Should we buy that fifth wheel? Should we rent out our basement? Should we take the student loan? Should we have another child? Should we look into adoption? Should we start that business plan? Should we receive the loan and buy the equipment and move the business to another level? Those all require the wisdom of God. God wants to bless us in our work. And if you call on him and say, God, I need your wisdom. I'm about to make a decision with my banker. It's going to have lifelong implications. He's going to guide you. You've got to claim that. But I said there's three kinds of wisdom. There's earthly, there's universal, and then there's what I call the ultimate wisdom. It's the spirit-given wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We don't have time to look at it now, but you can touch base on it later. Uh, you know, just take a look at it and see that there's wisdom that comes from above, from the Holy Spirit. He reveals mysteries to us. And so we can have the Spirit whisper things to us that are wise from God. And we need to avail ourselves of that. God's wisdom will protect you. It will also prevent you from making unwise decisions. It will position you for God's favor and blessing. So ask him for his Holy Spirit to speak to you. Tap into the Holy Spirit's wisdom. You don't have to be the one to go and deal with the foolish issues of Nabal. Let God handle that. And that brings me to my final and brief point. How do you respond to a fool? You trust in God's judgment. Let God handle it. David realizes as Abigail shares her plan with David that God has spoken to him through this wise woman. It's in a sense like saying, phew, you caught me just in time. And David knows the answer in dealing with this fool is not for him to go down to the village and start a war. He lets God handle the man of Nabal. We pick it up in verse 36 of chapter 25. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. That's a wise woman. She didn't even speak to her drunken husband. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. What things? Well, that David with his 400 men were going to come down here and slaughter you. And he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. Wow. What a story in the life of David. This is David really starting to figure out how to trust God in those intense moments when life seems very difficult. What do we learn from this? Well, when God is about to judge a fool for their behavior, get out of the way. Because consequences can land on you too. Let God handle those situations. I invite our worship team to come up. And I close with these thoughts for you. You know, we think that God is always so nice to people, right? 
I've looked for that verse in the Bible that says God is nice. I can't find it. Have you found it? The Bible doesn't say that God is nice. The Bible says that God is good, and he's loving, and he's just, and he's fair, and he's holy, and he's all-powerful, and all-seeing, and all-knowing. But to say, is God nice, would be a foolish statement. The Canadian God is nice. He's tolerant. He's a bit shy and embarrassed about being so powerful. The Canadian God is willing to just let things be the way they are and let foolish people do foolish things because who wants to cause any riff amongst foolish people? But the Canadian God is not the God of heaven and earth. That's a false God. The true God of heaven and earth makes fierce judgments. And sometimes consequences in life happen because he withdraws his sustaining hand. Unless we think we're all so beyond this. Don't you remember, friends? Paul the Apostle said in Titus 3, he said at one time we were also foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. He's saying we were fools. But when the kindness of God appeared, he says, he saved us. Christ died for fools, amen? He died for the people of the world, all of us. One of those fools was me. If you would have known me when I was 19 years of age, you would have said that young man is being very foolish making bad decisions. I didn't know Jesus. I was caught up in my own self, in my own arrogance and pride. I was lost. I didn't know God. I didn't want God. I didn't care about God. But God saved a fool named Sandy Isfield. He does. He has grace for us fools. And there will be fools who will be saved, who will spend the rest of their lives being called fools for Christ who are unafraid of squandering every other opportunity for the opportunity to share the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, today as we respond to this, I think God is calling us to be a people of wisdom who really hear His voice. And I hope you've tested discerned what that voice was earlier and received whatever the Lord has given to you. We want to be a people who are always hearing what God is saying. So just bow your hearts with me for a moment here. I want to lead you in a response time. This is just for wisdom now, just for wisdom. If today in your life you are asking God for some special wisdom and you know you need it, you've got significant things to process maybe just want his affirmation or his direct leading, I want you to ask him for it now, and I want you to stand up as a testimony to heaven that you're asking for this wisdom. Would you go and stand right now? You're asking for wisdom. Remember that the scriptures say we must ask in faith, believing the Father will give it to us. Cry out to God for wisdom. Ask Him for it right now. 
Say, Father, would you download upon me what I need to honor you with my life, to choose the right path, to say no to evil, to say yes to what is good, to walk the ancient pathway that leads to life. I'm asking for your wisdom right now, Heavenly Father. And by faith, I receive it. And I thank you that you've given it to me. I'm going to act as if it's happened. I'm going to go boldly forth and believe that you will make everything clear. For you have given me wisdom today. And I appreciate it, Lord. Thank you. Let's all stand together. I want to pray over us now as a family and a flock. Lord, bless your people with wisdom. Give them abundant wisdom to live for you. I pray, Lord, that you would show them great and mighty things that are in their future. Let them be a vessel of wisdom and honor to everybody that they work with and live with and do life with. Thank you, God, that we can have the guarantee of your presence upon us. If your Holy Spirit is here, he's speaking, he's training us in righteousness. And we say yes to being trained. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. And all God's people said, amen. Well, blessings on you. Don't forget, next Sunday, Martin Sanders will be here. He's gonna be bringing a great message. Bring a friend with you. And if you need ministry, come on up to the front. Our ministry team will be here. God bless you.